continual prayer is that God would make our church more visible to the community. So, uh, so God showed up. Lots of people came to our property, as you saw from the video a few minutes ago. Uh, I also want to thank everybody who came out Thursday night to our Sacramento Region Baptist Network. That was fun. It was interesting to, to see how we cooperate together as Baptists with other churches. And sometimes we realize that they do things different than we do. But it's okay. We cooperate together. We partner together for the gospel. As you saw from the video that we just watched, that is what part of our, our dollars go to in our mission offering this month that we're taking up. Some of those will go to the California mission offering that you just saw from the video. So just thanks for, for those of you who came out on Thursday night and participated. We put our best foot forward and we showed our brothers and sisters from our association how we love on people here. I, I heard this morning that we, we were able to minister to a pastor in our association who actually has a wife who is very sick. And so thank you, First Baptist, for, for unleashing compassion and, and doing what we do best here at First Baptist. So thank you for that. As you saw on your way in, you see the nice airplanes and across the lobby. What a beautiful display our, our First Impressions team has put together. It's our month of missions. That's why we're doing these missions videos. So we are taking our global missions offering now. So you can give as the Lord leads you to uh, to give to world missions, and one of those things is our state that you just saw. Now, the way we want you to do that, if you're new to First Baptist, is in front of you are those, those envelopes. Just clearly mark on that envelope missions, and we will put those dollars to right where you want them to go. Our goal this year is $40,000, and so as you give, you'll see the airplanes kind of move across the world as we take the gospel from America to the ends of the earth, as Acts says. Amen? That's what we're about. So thank you for giving First Baptist. You guys are generous people every single year, so thank you for giving to the Lord. It reminds me of that old song. Thank you for giving to the Lord. All right. So if you got your Bible and your outline, let's get into it. We are in a sermon series called Devoted to Jesus, and today we're going to uh, create a picture of what a growing disciple of Christ looks like. So if we're going to be on mission with Jesus, we must follow him. And as a follower of Jesus, that means that we are his disciple. And we'll talk more about what a disciple is in just a minute. So if you missed last week, I just want to say I'm sorry, but you missed out. Other than it being part one of the sermon series, we also gave away two brand new BMW M3s and a brand new Ranger bass boat. So uh, if you missed it, I'm really sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. But last week, what we did do is we did talk about the beginning of the New Testament church. And so I want to encourage you to go back and watch it on our YouTube channel. If you missed last week, you can also hear the sermon from our church's website and gets a podcast. Very important to get that one because it sets the tone for this whole month's sermon series. But quickly, you see at the top of your outline, last week we talked about how the book of Acts tells us the story of the first century church. It didn't begin as an institution. It began as a movement. A group of people believed that Jesus was actually the Messiah, the Son of God, that he died on the cross and he rose again. Many of them in that very moment of time were actually people who witnessed with 
their own eyes the physical resurrection of Jesus. So they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in a very unique way at the time of Pentecost. And so it was this movement of God. And that movement expands throughout all of time, all the way down to us today in 2023. Now, not just here in Fair Oaks, but all over the world. And so whenever you see the word church in the New Testament, the Greek word for that is ekklesia. And we talked about that last week. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. It's the gathering of God's people. It's God's people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's the son of God, and they follow him. They believe that Jesus is not just a nice man or a prophet, but that he is God in human flesh. Church, hear me. He is God in human flesh. Okay? Very important that we get that doctrinally. So we said last week that the ecclesia... The church in the book of Acts here had a very simple message. They had an expanding mission, and they had a serious devotion to the Lord Jesus. Now, I know some of you guys have a serious devotion to the San Francisco 49ers. Okay, some of y'all. Some of you are saved by Jesus and have a serious devotion to the Los Angeles Dodgers like I do. All right, glory to God for the L.A. Dodgers. Now, in all seriousness... None of that is actually anywhere close to the devotion that God calls us to have to him. And what the apostles and the early church had to the Lord Jesus. That's really what it's about. It's not about our sports teams. We just have fun with that. But these people had a serious devotion to the Lord Jesus. And we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks. All right. So as we think about this movement, the ecclesia of God. This is what a growing disciple looks like inside of this ecclesia. And so as we think about this today, I want you to answer some questions with me and you see in your outline. Number one, two questions that we're going to look at. The first one is this. What is the purpose of the local church? Okay. One of the things that happens in churches is this thing that is called vision drift. And it's when people begin to lose sight of what they're actually supposed to be doing. Now, some of you see this in your businesses and in your places of employment. It happens all the time. We see it actually throughout the Bible with the Israelites, and it actually happens in the church as well. Now, as a church, we have to ask the question, what is our mission? What's our purpose? Now, the good news is, fortunately for us, the Lord Jesus actually told us in the Bible exactly what it is we're supposed to be doing. And in Matthew chapter 22, it's not where your Bibles are at, but in Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus gave us what is called the great commandment. Now, the great commandment is two parts to it. The first part is love God with everything that you have, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second part of that is love your neighbor as yourself. And then six chapters later in Matthew 28, where your fingers are at in your Bible, he gives us what's called the great commission. So it's in your outline, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Follow along with me. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? 
Okay? Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we see right here in verse 19 that the main purpose of the church is to make disciples. Now, for some of you, you have no idea what that even means, and that's okay. But the question you're probably asking is, well, if Jesus tells me to do that, how am I supposed to do that? How do we do that as a church? And so that begs the question, number two in your outline, well, then what is a disciple? What do they look like? What do they act like? So let's dive into that today. If you were to ask 10 different Christians what a disciple is, you're going to get 15 different answers. Okay? Opinions on this are all over the place. And as I was reading this week, I came across some different answers on what a disciple is. One person said that a disciple is a person who is becoming spiritually mature and who has a desire for deep understanding of Scripture. And we would say, okay, that sounds plausible. Another person says, a disciple is somebody who regularly shares the gospel with unbelieving friends and neighbors and invites them to church to hear about Jesus. And we would say, okay, that sounds good too. Uh, Another person says, "A, a disciple is somebody who believes in doing life together with a group of people. And we would say, okay, that's, that sounds plausible. And another person says that a disciple is somebody who believes it's important to pay attention to the poor and indigent in society. And we would say, okay, we're for that too. And, and then another person said a disciple is someone who comes to church to corporately worship with other believers. And we would probably say as a church, yeah, yeah, we're for that too. And so here the problem is, church, is that as you get different views, it starts to get a little foggy to actually answer this question, what is a disciple? And the reality is, believers define discipleship through the lens of their own spiritual giftedness. Really, Pastor Wayne? Yes. That's exactly how it goes. For example, if you personally think that as a church, priority number one of this body is to minister to the poor and indigent people in society, and we need to have food banks and clothing closets for, let's say, homeless people, then you probably have the spiritual gift of mercy and servanthood in your life. And so to you, this is what being a disciple of Jesus is all about, caring for the marginalized, In fact, when other Christians don't share your feeling in that, you're quick to think that they aren't even saved. They don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. What's wrong with them? Maybe for you, you feel that Pastor Wayne does not use enough Hebrew and Greek and terms in his sermons, and and you, you think he needs to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. In fact, turn up that academia heat, Pastor Wayne, and bring in more facts and figures and even throw some maps up up on the screen. Because to you, you feel that the church needs to be, as 1 Timothy 3 says, a pillar and foundation of truth. 
And so that's the most important thing to you because you, my friend, probably have the spiritual giftedness of teaching. And so when we come back to the question of what is a disciple, we each individually answer this question through the lens of our own spiritual giftedness. As a result of that, anybody who disagrees with us obviously has a spiritual problem. And they aren't right with Jesus. That's just how we do it. Now, with that being said, I want to bring it back and answer the question at a very foundational level today. A disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another person. And in our case, we're talking about the big guy. Jesus, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So what does that look like for us today in 2023? So if you'll turn with me in your Bible now, go back in Matthew to chapter 4. You can also follow along in your outline. We're going to look at verse 19. There are three attributes of a disciple that we're going to examine today. And we're going to see this from when Jesus called his first two disciples. So Matthew chapter 4, let me set the scene up for you. Jesus has moved from Nazareth, which is inland, east to the Sea of Galilee, and he sets up residence on the west shore of the lake in a town of Capernaum. So he's there, and one day he's walking along the shore of the lake, and he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew. Now, these guys were fishermen, and they were casting their nets into the water. And then verse 19, it says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Some versions of Scripture will say, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, it says, At once they left their nets and followed him. So what does this look like for us? If we're going to be on mission with Jesus, if we're going to partner with him, we have to understand a couple of truths. And the first one is number one in your outline, based upon Matthew 4.19, where he says, come follow me. The term follow me involves the head, meaning our head. Jesus says to you and me, hey, come follow me. And what does it mean involving our head? It's referring to our minds. Remember the, remember the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So let's go to that idea. Loving Jesus and following him with our mind. Ultimately, congregation, here's what this means. This has to do with the authority of Christ in our life. Who's gonna be boss? Is Jesus the head of your life? I want you to ask that question to yourself right now. Here's Jesus, he calls Peter, he calls Andrew to the truth. Not just a truth, but the truth. And when he said, come follow me, what he's really saying is, guys, do you believe who I say I am? And the answer is, yes. And they immediately dropped their nets and followed Christ. In the Greek word, the word follow, it means to be the same way with. In other words, it's not this casual following. These guys weren't walking 1,000 or 2,000 miles behind Christ. They weren't just casually following him in their life. This is this idea of when you are right 
next to him. You're right there with him in the sense of your beliefs as you're going through life, right? You're passionate about the things of Christ, his values, his worldview, his morals. And as we follow him, we begin to move away from a life that is self-ruled where I'm in charge and I am the Lord of me into this Christ-ruled life where Jesus is Lord and master, Does that make sense, congregation? Okay, good. Now look with me in your outline at John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus is saying here that whenever I make an adjustment... My followers, they make the same adjustment. They don't go do things on their own. They don't go in their own direction because they don't like the change that I'm doing. They follow me. And believers, as we're following Christ and we're moving from a self-ruled life to a Christ-ruled life, our personal worldview will begin to change and look more like Jesus as we embrace his value system. Consequently, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to work in our life and he's going to start to reveal things like the falsehoods of views from the secular world. And all of that is really good. We love the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and helping us to think more like Jesus and molding us into his image. However, I want to let you know that there is a danger. And the danger is this. If we're not careful... Christians can become very quickly legalistic. Now, for us here at First Baptist, we don't know any of those Christians. They don't go to church here. But we know they exist. Exactly. Many Christians, what happens is they think a disciple is somebody who knows so much Bible knowledge. They just fill their life up with all the Bible stuff. They attend Bible studies seven days a week. They listen to 978 podcasts from 61 different preachers. And, and for fun, they just memorize all the questions from Bible trivia. And somehow, in their view, they just think Jesus is smiling at them and giving them applause. But unfortunately, what oftentimes happens is they become increasingly legalistic and judgmental towards other people. I've seen this so many times in the ministry. And the the bad part about it is, is they don't even see it or recognize it in their own life. Their doctrine is incredibly sound. They know the Bible, but there is a lack of grace. There's a lack of love. So the balance of life is now unbalanced. And like I said last week, as followers of Jesus, God wants us to have a correct balance of grace and truth. Are you with me? Just like he modeled it. And so the apostle Paul gets this, and he addresses this very thing to the church in Corinth. It's in the situation of the food being sacrificed to the idols. It's not in your outline, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. And it says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, the apostle Paul says. 
while love builds up. And then in verse 2 he says, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. See, love and compassion recognizes that the people who are new to the faith or who aren't quite up to speed, they need some extra grace because of their past and, and the things that they've been through. Some of you who are new to faith in Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so the solution for people who are Christians who are so legalistic and as Paul describes them, puffed up, is to get out into the world a little bit and rub shoulders with people who are far from God. Life isn't always right and wrong. There are a ton of complications going on in the world out there. A lot of people have various complex scenarios. And so church, our calling then is, is we have to ask the question, how do we minister to people in need? How do we love them? God calls us to go ye into all the world and make disciples, which means we have to get to know them and get to hear their story. So having sound doctrine, don't misunderstand me. That's a good thing, but we also need to have love and grace towards people as well. Congregation, does that make sense? That's what God calls us to do. Good. So following Christ does involve the usage of our mind. It involves our head. And number two in your outline, Jesus says here, he says, and I will make you, and this involves the heart. He says, I will make you... you know, the fishers of men part. So if you hone in on the I will make you, this idea is when we're on mission and involves our heart, it requires us to allow God to shape our lives to, into the image of Christ. Think about this. Christ wants to mold you. The Holy Spirit wants to work on you. And we have a process for that. And we call it in theological terms, sanctification. Sanctification. So there's a new big and scary word for some of you who are new to faith. I'm just having fun with you. But that's what it's called, sanctification. And so the believer, we have this head knowledge where we accept the authority of Christ into our life. And now this part here is where God is speaking to the heart of the believer through his word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, this believer starts to become more and more obedient to Jesus. And and being obedient to Christ yields fruit. It's what it does. And when we are obedient to Christ, our worldview changes and we value the things that God values. And a couple of passages of scripture to to talk about this. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it's in your outline with me. Paul says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now on that word conformed, the prefix there, the C-O-N, what that actually means is with. We're to be poured into the mold of who Jesus is. We're to have his values. We're to have his views, his love, his grace for people in addition to his truth. And as a result, he will transform us into his image. We will begin to see the world as he sees it. Value people the way he values them. Value other things the way he values them. And then, and then we will begin to consider what is important, the same things that he thinks are important. Are you all with me? Okay, now pause for a second. When you think back on your past, have your personal values changed since you came to know Christ? 
Are they now in line better with what Scripture says? Has there been a change in your life? I mean, you know where you used to do this, but now that you're following Jesus, you don't do that anymore. You just sense, yeah, that's not good for me anymore. Like being a Giants fan. I know, I'm just playing with you guys. Yank you over there, I hear you, all right. Now, check it out. Here's the deal, everybody. This is bad stuff in our lives, and Jesus transforms us to move away from the bad stuff because we're becoming more and more like Christ. As a result, we should be looking less and less like the world. Are you noticing this change in your life at all? Are you seeing yourself being less and less like the world, valuing less and less the thing that's, that the world values? Are you better at extending grace towards people today than you were, say, six months ago? How about a year ago? Are you better at giving mercy? Are you more patient with people? Are you more forgiving or are you less forgiving? Because the question is, is are you, as a disciple of Christ, becoming more and more like Christ? We should be. As we grow in Christ, we should be coming more and more like him, and it should be more and more natural. Here's another one. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2 in your outline. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how are we to transform into the image of Christ? By the renewing of our mind, thinking like Jesus. Do we care about the things he cares about? Are we passionate about the things he was passionate about? Now, I want you to notice in this text, everybody, that it does not say renewed. It says renewing. In other words, it's not a one and done transaction. It's an ongoing daily call to transformation. And church, isn't it a struggle? Or am I the only one who struggles with this? It is a struggle because it requires us to say no to ourselves and say yes to the power of the Holy Spirit and his leading. And the truth is there is nothing inside of our flesh that wants to let Jesus be in control of our life. We want to be the boss. Thank you, Adam and Eve. It's true. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hallelujah, verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are, here it is, being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there you see it again right here in the text. This transformation work is being done in us by the Holy Spirit himself for the purpose of his glory. We just have to choose in our own lives to allow him to do this work in us. That's the hard part, brothers and sisters. That's the difficulty. So the first part is about the authority of Christ. 
Is he the head of our life? Is he the Lord? The second part is surrendering our will to his to allow Jesus to mold us into his image. Now, the last part is this. Number three in your outline is Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, the brothers, to do what? To be fishers of men. And so it involves the hands. So when you think about Peter and Andrew in this story, right, they're professional fishermen. These guys were good at what they did. They had a great fishing business. They did this every day to make a living. I would love to do that too. Go fishing every day. That'd be awesome. So these guys, they they were fishing every day, and then Jesus touches their life, and then he gives them this new call to action to become a fisher of men. And that's why this part is about our hands, right? Our hands represent action. We work with our hands. Matthew 4, 19. Be fishers of men. Church, this is God's calling on your life. Do you want to know what God wants you to do? This is it. Right here. He wants you to be a fisher of men. So many people want to know, I just don't know what God wants me to do in my life. Right here. Be a fisher of men. We are saved for a purpose. Peter and Andrew were fishermen, and Jesus told them, not anymore, guys. Time to retire from the fishing business. From this point forward, you will be a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. And so when you and I, when we accept Jesus as Lord, God has the same exact calling on us. We are to be fishers of men. We are to be on mission with Jesus Christ. You may be on mission at your workplace, at your school. It could be at your kids' baseball team or gymnastics club or whatever it is you do and where you go through life. It doesn't really matter because the point is God has called you to be on mission 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. You are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Where? Out there in this world. And so when you look at your own life as a disciple of Christ, if you got the head part and you got the heart part, but maybe you're not doing the hands part. In other words, you're not doing the work of Christ. You're not being a fisher of men. Then my encouragement to you today, my family, is for you to become more aware of the sensitivity of the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Just start right there. What's God doing in you? Because the Holy Spirit has saved you. And the Holy Spirit has gifted you for ministry. Congratulations, you're gifted. You have abilities, talents, and spiritual gifts. I don't know if you've ever been told that before. So hear me, everybody, you're gifted. Congratulations. God wants to do something through you. And he's commanded you, not suggested, commanded you to use those gifts to strengthen the community of faith. Not just to attend church services on a Sunday and then go home. Not just to go to a group and go home. 
but he's calling you to live your life and to use the things that he's given you for his purpose. He's equipped you to do it. So if you would turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 15. It's also in your outline. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says this. And he died for how many of us? All. That's a lot of people. He died for us all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. In other words, if you're a believer in Christ, and this may be the first time you're hearing this this morning, but your life is not your life. You are not in charge of you. You belong to Jesus. And as it says here, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You belong to Jesus, not you. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And I could have a whole message on that verse alone. So I'll just say this. As a Christ follower, we are to see all people made in the image of God. Loved by him who gave his life up for them and wants a relationship with them. And so when we see things like that are happening in Israel and Ukraine, it should break our hearts. Verse 16. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in, in, is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Hallelujah. All right. Verse 18. All this is from God. What a gift. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Congregation, this is your calling as a believer. The ministry of reconciliation. We are to be fishers of men. Now verse 19. That was God, I'm sorry, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, as he has committed to us, the ecclesia, the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now, you might have been just thinking that you're just a professional teacher or an electrician or a salesman or a police officer or a carpenter or whatever it is you do for work. But you're actually Christ's ambassador there. As though God were making his appeal through us. Here's the reality, congregation. He is. How do you hear about Jesus from somebody else? How about your life? How did you hear about Jesus? The answer is somebody cared enough about you to share Christ with you. And someone pointed you to Christ at some point in your past, and you made the amazing step of faith, and you stepped over the line and put your hand out to Jesus' call on your life. As a result, he has saved you from the pit of hell, and you are now his ambassadors. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We're to tell the world about Jesus. That's why missions is so important. And the Apostle Paul demonstrates exactly in verse 20, what we're supposed to say to the world. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, 
be reconciled to God. Congregation, that's our mission. To preach the reconciliation of God. As a disciple of Christ, the power of God demonstrates its work in our life through our outward expression, our hands. Because when our heart is genuinely transformed, it moves us into action. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, it's not in your, your outline, but it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In your outline, a growing disciple of Christ is a person who is following Christ with, with their mind in the head, is being transformed in the heart, and which leads us to a commitment to the mission of Christ in our hands. So as a disciple, this is what needs to take place in our lives, my friend. November is the month of missions that we do here at First Baptist. And for some of you who have been around here for a million years, you've seen that our church is very generous financially with giving to world missions. And so congregation, you guys are really awesome at that. And I just want to say thank you for whatever sacrifice you make to give to the work of the Lord. However, hear me, being on mission is so much more than just giving to missions. This message today is about giving Christ your all. Partnering with the Lord in the ministry of reconciliation to and with those who are far from God. Being a fisher of men. And so I ask you today, my friends, how are you doing with that? As a disciple in Christ, how is the authority of Christ in your life? Are you all in the early church, they were all in. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the scripture says. They were completely devoted to Jesus. Are you completely devoted to Jesus? Is Jesus at the front of your bus? And is he sitting in the driver's seat? Or is it you? How is your heart? Are you being sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, to his call? Or are you struggling to obey what he's leading you to do? Are you believing the truth from the scripture? Are you surrendering your will to his? Or are you just doing your own thing? What about your actions? Whatever the passion that you have in this life is, are you being obedient and using your spiritual gifting in that area? You see, when we get past our, our, our own concept of what a disciple is, because we see it through the lens of our spiritual giftedness, and when we just look at it biblically, it's easy for us to evaluate where we're at. It's easy for us to see where we are as an individual. And it's easy for us to see the areas that we need to change in our own lives. And you can see the goal here in Colossians chapter 1 in your outline. 
Verse 28, Paul says, he's the one that we proclaim. That's Jesus. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Congregation, let's partner with Jesus this month. Let's be on mission with Christ. Let's contend with all the energy Christ is so powerfully working in us. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me this morning. Father, we just love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for the simple words that you give to us, where you just say to us, come and follow you. God, some of us in this room, we've been following you for a long time. But honestly, some of us have drifted away from the mission that you've asked us to do. We've been doing our own thing. We just haven't been obedient to, to the calling on our life. Lord, somehow we've, we've just drifted. And so, Lord, today, as we're praying today, today's the day that we want to get back in alignment with you. God, we're asking for you to empower us and to equip us to engage with a world that is dying and going to hell. So, Lord, we ask right now that you work in our hearts. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, for those watching online who are struggling to be passionate about the things that you're passionate about, who are struggling to share the gospel. God, I just pray for them that they will have boldness in their life, that they will have opportunities to have gospel conversations with people who are far from you. Lord, I lift those who are struggling up to you today. God, for others of us in this room, we're thankful for the opportunities that you've been given to us. The, th the times that we've been speaking about your son to the people who are far from you. So Lord, we're praying for fruitfulness from that. We're praying, God, that you will continue to draw those who we've planted seeds in closer to you. To you. Work in their hearts, God. Use us. We surrender all. If you need us, we are here. We are reporting for duty. And God, we're, we're broken for the people in this world who are far from you. Who don't live close to us. We can't reach them, but Lord, we can send missionaries there. So God, we're praying for this month of missions as we give to, to missionary work, Lord, that you would use instruments like our IMB and our NAMB, God, that, that they can touch people with the gospel. Lord, our passion... Our heartbeat is for people to follow you. Help us to be fishers of men. Congregation, you, as you're listening to me today and we're praying right now in this room, there may be some of you here today where you've never given your life to Jesus. This may be the first time that you're ever hearing about Jesus and, and who he is and he's the Lord and, and, and master and and he's the king, and, and he is God in human form. I got good news for you. 
He came so that you could have eternal life. He came so that you could be reconciled to God the Father. And my heart and my prayer right now for you is if that is you, that you would step out in faith today. That you would hear God knocking on the door of your heart right now. And that today would be a day that you respond to him. All you have to do is just say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you came, that you died, and that you rose again. So Lord Jesus, I ask you now to connect me to the Father. Help me to be reconciled to you. I want to serve you. I want to be with you from this day forward. As we're praying today, God, be with us. Be with our mission. Help us to stay focused this week. In Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Congregation, today is a good day. Today is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. If you have given your heart to Jesus today, here's how I want you to respond. In just a minute, I'm going to dismiss this. I don't want you to leave. I want you to take a bold step today. I want you to come from your seat and come right over here to our encouragers at my left, your right, and just let them know that today's the day that you're following Jesus. We want to smile with you. We want to give you a high five. We want to give you some some resources today to, to encourage you and to be with you and to push you into the right direction with following Christ. Everybody in this room is excited about your decision today. Amen, church? Amen. So if that's you today, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't just walk out of here today. Let us celebrate with you today. Today's God's day in your life. Don't just walk away. Take that step of faith today because we care about you and so does Jesus. Are you glad you came to church today, everybody? I'm grateful you came today. Real quick, before we leave, Tonight at, or this afternoon at four o'clock for church members, today is when we're going to do our Q&A about the 2024 proposed budget. So if you are interested in discussing that, we'd love for you to come back today at four o'clock, okay? And that's going to happen. Our Ministry Accountability Council will give a presentation and you can see where our finances are going to work in 2024. So that being said, God bless you today. Go with God. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus and make fishers of men. Have a good week, everybody.